0: I have a terrible feeling, no, a wonderful feeling, that this episode is going to go over our 25-minute limit. And if it does, I think I'm going to play it, because it has a lot of really fun information in it, and I'd like to go ahead and share. So I hope you don't get mad, guys.
1: Yes! This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another biographical episode. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Sensei Lydia, and happy to be a part of the episode on Jackie Chan.
0: And we are always psyched when you're on the show, which has been a number of times. Oh, very many. As usual, we have a lot to cover. So I'm going to get us started with a little information about Jackie Chan's parents' immigration to Hong Kong. It turns out that between 1949 and 1974, 700,000 people immigrated from China to Hong Kong for political
2: reasons. And Jackie Chan's parents were two of those people. What they found out when they got to Hong Kong was an up-and-coming metropolis where there were major discrepancies between the haves and the have-nots. Jackie Chan's parents were part of the have-nots, but were lucky to get jobs at the ambassador's mansion.
1: Exactly. This meant that although Jackie Chan didn't learn about life on the mean streets, he did realize early in life the difference between the house his parents worked in and the one his family lived, which was a room with no windows. So it sounds very upstairs, downstairs for those of
0: you who are
2: PBS, PBS. fans. Also, it's uh, very reminiscent of our talk about the life in China in the 1990s uh, when we read American Shaolin. It does sound a lot like that. I agree. Bleak living was a way of life. That's right.
1: Us. But back to Jackie Chan. He was born in Hong Kong in 1954, and I can share another interesting fact. We feel comfortable with this fact because it was in the autobiography. He said that his mom was pregnant for 12 months. Okay, even when I was reading that,
0: I was like saying, okay, no, and there was a word there, way.
2: (laughs) It doesn't even seem possible. I mean, was she part elephant? He must have wanted to stay. (laughs)
1: He didn't want to come out. That's was, what I'm saying. He was, he was nice and warm and cozy in there. And she finally had a C-section. The bill for a C-section at that time was 1000 Hong Kong dollars. The doctor offered to buy the baby for $2,000, clearing their debt and making them a profit of $1,000. But in the end, his dad said no. And his dad's friends helped him put the money together to pay the doctor. Isn't that something In his biography, he says that he was not a good
2: student. His parents sent him to school when he was six years old, and he got kicked out right away. So that was that. His parents didn't have teacher conferences or anything. That part of his education was over. So for us, that's a foreign thought.
0: But for huge parts of the world, it's not a foreign
2: thought. You get kicked out of school, you're done. That's it. And you find something else to do. Exactly. But weird or not, here's what happened next. His parents got the opportunity to move to Australia and work for the American embassy there. He was about seven at the time. Actually, according to his biography, his mom didn't go to Australia for a few years, so Jackie saw her regularly for a few years. Then one day, his dad showed up at school. He wasn't the type of man to be real loving, but he tried. When he left, he told his son that mom would be leaving with him to live and work with dad in Australia. Okay, first off, we didn't tell you that he was at a
0: live-in school yet, but we're getting there, so hang tough. (laughs) And secondly, there is a lot of background out there on the parents. So if you're interested, you could look it up. But the short version was that in Hong Kong and in Australia, dad was a cook and mom was a housekeeper at an embassy. Okay, now, Sensei Jackie, let's get back on
2: track. Not a problem, Sensei. I'm going back to when his dad first got the opportunity to move to Australia. Got it. Before he moved, he took Jackie to a place called the Chinese Drama Academy. It was a boarding school in Hong Kong. Us. In his biography, he says that the day of introduction
0: was all fun and games. Watching kids tumble and do kung fu, it was a kid's dream come true. A total blast. Sure. Sure. So when his dad asked him if he'd like
2: to return, he yelled, yes. And he did return. What he found was that the reality of something is nothing like your first day there as a guest. That's an understatement. We all have that in
0: some way where the first thing was so cool. Absolutely. <laughs> and then after that, the reality sets exactly. in. You know what I'm thinking? Work. Work. Your first day of work can often be a real, you know, easygoing day. And then once you're in the drudgery, you're like, oh, my gosh. Okay, after that edification,
2: did I say that word right? Excellent.
0: You're back on track, Sensei Jackie.
2: Jackie Chan started studying the arts at age seven. And he was there at that school for 10 years under the tutelage of Yu Jim Yuen. The school was strict and used corporal punishment for poor performance. Before I talk about the corporal punishment, I want to say really quickly that the reason we keep
0: saying Jackie Chan is because I'm sitting with Sensei Jackie, and I don't want to get confused, and I'm not even making a joke. (laughs) And secondly, I'm uncomfortable calling him Jackie, and I'm uncomfortable calling him Mr. Chan. So getting used to hearing it, folks. All the sources said that by corporal punishment, they mean being hit with the master's cane. If, I know. If if we can get over that visual, and I had a hard time with it, I got to be honest. I'll add that all the sources also agree that the curriculum included martial arts, drama, acrobatics, staging, singing, everything you would need to know to perform in an opera. The one thing it didn't offer was reading and writing.
2: Which kind of blows my mind for the 10 years to have no reading or writing. I agree with you, Sensei Jackie. For us, the way we were raised, and we
0: are all very similar to his age. Yes, yes, that's true. It's mind-blowing. It's unfathomable that a person goes to the age of 17 without understanding reading and writing, but it happened. And there you go, right? That's it. So another thing about the school that I found really, really fun, and I want you to share it, Sensei Lydia, is what a typical day was like. You ready?
1: I'm ready, Sensei. Everyone rose at 5 a.m. after sleeping on a mat on the floor, (laughs) which they did the whole time he was there. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone folded their blankets and headed up to run laps on the roof. Then came breakfast. There was no bathroom until after lunch because if you had to pee in the a.m., you hadn't run enough. That's the one that got me. Yeah,
2: that makes no sense to me That's either. the one that got you? That's <laughs> what one that got me. The
1: whole regimented thing was like brutal. Laps before breakfast?
0: <laughs> Keep going,
1: Cynthia. <since laughs> after breakfast came five hours of martial arts and acrobatics. If you got hurt in training, they didn't call a doctor. Injuries were seen as weakness. Then they ate lunch, and after lunch was the first bathroom break.
0: All right. At least they got to go.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm not even just thinking of tinkling now. I'm just saying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead if I can take it, Sensei Lydia.
1: Okay. After lunch came flexibility training. All students were expected to do a full split on the ground and standing. Students were partnered with an older student that pushed too hard and people got hurt, of course. Of course. This hell was followed by chores or singing class or drama training and then dinner. Okay, we're going to take it home with what? So after dinner came some interesting training. Students learned about makeup, costumes for opera, and even some kung fu. Each day would have 12 hours of training, and the workday went from 5 a.m. to 12 a.m. with five hours of sleep per night. The whole thing would start again. And he spent 10 years like that.
2: I find that just an, an incredible lifestyle. In fact, it almost sounds like um, the way our prison systems run on day after day being exactly the same thing. It's regimented. It is. But our lives
0: are day after day the same thing. Even, That's true. Even though they weren't picked by somebody else. And I don't think any of the three of us really know about boarding schools because I'm sure they're regimented. But there is a cruelty line here with the the beatings with the cane. Right. He got his first yes, beating sure. on his second day there, his second day. And it came because he spilled walnuts on the kitchen floor.
1: Yep. Oh, no. Wow.
0: So
2: there's a regimentation here that we can't, what? Comprehend. Comprehend. Yeah. That's right. Plus a freedom that we are so used to having. In fact, even when we talk about the three rules of the opera school, which were discipline hard work, and order. And then I try to, in my own brain, contrast them with the three rules of uh, Goju, Federation, Karate. Everyone works, nothing is free, and everyone starts at the bottom. I I see a similarity in them. Absolutely. What I don't see is that kind of enforcement of pain from our senseis as the way the teachers enforce them at the opera school. We agree with you. The the
0: corporal punishment is the thing that makes the whole thing very very weird. All three of us love discipline, self discipline especially, yes. right? Yes, and absolutely. we like our lives to be orderly, definitely. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know the 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 punishment aspect was something that's like we've said twice already, incomprehensible to our brains in the way we were raised. All right,
2: are you taking it home for us, Sensei Jackie? Yes, because there was one more thing about the academy. There was a rank order. Like karate. Just like in karate or in, I guess, in corporate business even. On top was the master. Then there were the teachers, the senior students, and finally the newest students. So that's a lot like karate.
0: Very much so. Very much. Was it also like that when you spent your young years dancing, Sensei
1: Lydia? Was there kind of a rank order that was unspecified? Oh, absolutely. It was... The beginners, the intermediate, the advanced, also the younger students versus the older students, the adults. Yeah. Okay. Now that we've just
0: complained as much as we can about this corporal punishment thing, for gosh sakes, let's move on, Sensei Lydia.
1: Us. did you guys read that he made his first movie when he was eight years old in 1962? It was called Big and Little Wong Tin Bear, and any money he made was paid to the school as his tuition.
2: I did read that, and I wasn't surprised about that, about the tuition at all. Me either. He also made some musical films all after school. He loved performing. He says that
0: in the biography, and he was very good at it. On his first performance, he was punished with the cane for being too proud and for showing off. Wow. So I'm going to finish up talking about the opera school with this. In his biography, he wrote, and I'm quoting, despite the torture the academy was the only place where my abilities could have developed into something worthwhile. End quote. He said it formed the basis for his dreams and that essentially he had two dads, his real father and the person who raised Jackie Chan.
2: I'd like to add a, a quick note before we move on. Yes. Yes. What he meant by the term forming Jackie Chan was that Jackie Chan was not his birth name. He was born Chang Kong Sang. There's a story about how he became
1: known as Jackie Chan. I think we tell it later. Us, we do. And I'll add the epitaph to master you. He ended up getting Alzheimer's and he spent his last two years in a coma and he died at the age of 95.
0: So I'm going to add another thing. According to all the sources, Jackie Chan's relationship with all the people close to him has been kind of up and down. People used all kinds of terms, but it was definitely shaky. In modern terminology, we might call it dysfunctional. I don't know. (laughs) We're not judging. And we're not planning on dwelling in that arena. Every person who's living that's anywhere above the age of 60 has baggage they're dealing with. Don't you think? Absolutely.
2: I think everybody has baggage at all ages of their life. In themselves and
0: in relationships. Yes. And one more quick note. Before we start talking about his life after the Academy... I read that Master Yu's traditional teaching methods were something that he thought was the correct way to do it. His intention wasn't to hurt people. I'm personally bothered by it all. There's no two ways about it, both the lack of education and reading and both the corporal punishment. But the man himself was just doing what had been done for hundreds of years.
1: And what he thought was the right thing to do. And he was probably raised the same way. Yeah. Very similar. So Probably in that school. Exactly. Like Sensei Jackie said, you know, it's the same thing.
0: All right. Take us out of Academy Life, Sensei Lydia, and let's start on the movie. How did we get there?
1: Over time, opera became less popular. The work was drying up, and therefore the Academy was going to close. Jackie Chan had stayed out of loyalty to the master, but he finally had to leave. And soon after he left, the academy closed for good. Hmm. When he spoke to his parents about his new life, they encouraged him to come to Australia. He lied and told his parents that he had a contract to go into the stump business. So his parents bought him an apartment in Hong Kong. Nice. Yeah, really. The truth was that the work was day work. Each day he would sit with all the other stuntmen and wait to be called. Some of the guys were actually from the academy. Also, the nights were spent smoking, drinking, and talking about the day. That doesn't
2: really surprise me because that's what young men would do. I, I could relate to that in a in a young person way myself. <laughs> yes, I think we all could. One day, though, there was a stunt that no one wanted to do. It involved falling fifteen feet. And landing on your feet. The stunt coordinator asked for volunteers and Jackie Chan stepped forward. That made him stand out. And according to his biography, it was the start of his career as kind of a daredevil stunt person.
0: That's a very cool thing. You have to be a little crazy to do something like that, but we've known crazy karate people in our lives. Mm -hmm. We have.
2: (laughs) You think? Of course we have. But then a few years later, Bruce Lee came on the Hong Kong movie scene, and he became an instant star. Jackie Chan worked as a stuntman in Fists of Fury. In that film, there was another opportunity for Jackie Chan to stand out as a stunt person. He volunteered to take a kick from Bruce Lee, fly backwards 20 feet while wearing a safety wire. But then he had to free fall from about 20 feet and land like he'd been hit with a super powerful kick. Mm -hmm. The kick from Bruce Lee wasn't too bad, but the landing knocked him out for a few seconds. He had the presence of mind to protect his neck and spine, but 20 feet is 20 feet in a fall. (laughs) Two stories. When it was finally over,
1: Bruce Lee said to him, good job, kid. That's a print. Very cool. Did you guys know that Jackie Chan got his most painful injury on the set of Enter the Dragon, which was a nineteen seventy three film, Bruce Lee accidentally hit him in the face with a nunchuck Oof. okay, ouch, I can't even imagine <laughs> Ooh. well, I mean besides in all fairness the painful <laughs> not the face but our
0: heads have known that <laughs> yes, hit, that hit that's true okay. let me take this one home and get away from that one with a quote from Jackie Chan about Bruce Lee and here's the quote without Bruce Lee. I don't think that anyone would have heard of Jackie Chan. People have said enough about him being Bruce Lee to fill 1,000 volumes. He was an amazing martial artist. To me, he was a great teacher, a kind person,
2: and a good man. I think it's good to hear Jackie Chan saying something positive about other martial artists. It's really good for the field. And
0: I also think that he has a tendency to look at a positive side of things. Yes. Which is kind of nice. Okay, let's get back for a minute to that 20-foot fall, shall we?
2: Okay. (laughs) Do you remember it? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) One does not forget a (laughs) 20-foot fall. Even when you hear about it. Ever.
0: (laughs) Okay, that fall was witnessed by a man named Willie Chan, who, by the way, was no relation to Jackie Chan. Oh. And it turned out that the two Mr. Chans were destined to be manager and actor, along with best friends for years to come.
2: But that is later in the story. Here's what happened next. After Bruce Lee died, the Hong Kong kung fu movie business fell into a dormant period and the stunt work just about dried up. Jackie Chan moved to Australia, lived with his parents and went through a period where he worked in construction while simultaneously working as a cook, all the while knowing this was not his destiny.
0: It was in this period that people began calling him Jackie. Here's the story. He had a boss in a construction company. And when he took him out on the job for the first day, he couldn't say his name. So when everybody started asking him, what's the new guy's name? He said, oh, just call him Jackie because we have the same name. Clearly his name was
2: Jack. And that
0: is how it was born. It was a spur of the moment
2: reaction. You know, now I wonder if the boss back then thought about what happened when he became famous as Jackie Chan. That's a funny question. Okay, where are we headed,
0: Sensei
1: Lydia? So, after a while, he returned to Hong Kong to see what he could make happen. Coincidentally, at the same time, Willie Chan reached out and offered him a role in a new film called The New Fist of Fury. They cast him as a Bruce Lee type, and it was a disaster. Totally flopped. If you saw it, you got
0: to let us know how
1: bad it was, because we really haven't seen it. So where
0: are they going to let us know? All over the web at Wildcat Dojo. On Instagram at Wildcat Dojo Conversations. And if your email material, email us at
2: dojoconversations at AOL.com. So, Sensei, while we're interrupting ourselves, why don't we do
1: Honor Honor Athletics, Athletics,
2: of of course. course. Cynthia is our BF of sponsorship.
0: Yes, she is. Reach her at 770-945-5150
2: if you don't mind old school phone calls. And if you're like me and you're somewhat lazy, scroll down (laughs) and you can click the link and you'll get to her website. Please support her at Honor Athletics. Sorry
0: about that, Sensei Lydia. Can you finish that up, please?
1: Us, even while it was filming, he knew it was a mess. And so you're still talking about New Fist of Fury, right? Yes, I am. Okay. And when the studio realized it wasn't going to work, they jumped at the chance to let him out of his contract. Luckily, Willie had already set up a meeting with a startup company. When they had the first meeting with that company, the movie executive asked him what he wanted to do. Jackie Chan replied that his strengths were that he was funny, acrobatic, and wanted to show how the punching hurt the good guy. He even added the idea of the addition of bloopers that roll during the credits. According to his biography, that's how the Jackie Chan style was invented, so it's interesting
0: to
2: me that he didn't know his strengths even way back then. Yes, and he really wanted people to see what it's all about. Yes, but according to his biography, what people really come to see is how crazy his stunts are. In fact, he has had injuries to every single part of his body. Well, we're familiar with injuries, but nothing compared to what he's put his body through. You can
0: search online just for the list of his injuries. It's like a five-minute read. He must
2: have a really good orthopedist.
1: (laughs) He must. And, you know, if you just actually look at his movies, and we as karate people Mm -hmm. would actually study the movements and the choreography of Mm -hmm. his stunts, and the fact that he's doing his own stunts, Mm -hmm. you got to say ouch at some point. Yes, I
2: totally agree. But just off the record, I'd like to mention that his first film, which was called Snake in Eagle Shadow, was a bigger hit than Fits the Fury. And right at that moment,
1: he became a superstar in Asia. And I'll keep it going with this note. He's made a lot of successful and a few less successful movies. In fact, in an article in The New Republic, they compare him to Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. It also mentions that Steven Spielberg and James Cameron study his stunts. I think that's a real feather in his cap.
2: Yes,
0: to yes. Steven Spielberg and James
1: Cameron. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay.
0: So let's push on. And where are we
2: going? I think we'll uh, mention a little about his personal life. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, he got married in 1993 and he and his wife had a son named JC, but he admits to being obsessed with work. And that means his personal life paid for that.
0: And so everybody knows how difficult it is to balance obligations to family, obligations to work in even a little bit of obligation to your own sanity. Yes. It's true. The three of us talk about it now and then or every day. Just about. <laughs> yes, we do.
1: Or the look on our faces tells the story. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, Drew. We
0: need a camera for yeah. the audience <laughs> here. We do, we'll, exactly. We'll try, we'll try to get one. A selfie of us looking stressed. Okay, did you guys notice that through this whole thing, I really didn't bring up the uh, sources we used? I did notice. And that's because to me, it was interesting how all the research panned out. And so I thought it might be a fun way to finish. Are you ready? Yes. So I started out the way I always do and typed Jackie Chan into a search engine. Right. The first thing I ran across was birthday, blah, blah, blah. Then I opened a few more articles and there was so much information about his current life and a lot of it was very gossipy. Do you think that's a real word? I think it's a real word and a real concept. Yeah, and I didn't like it. So I decided to look at some books And I came across a biography and I checked it out of our library using their app. How cool is that? Yes. Hmm. I totally recommend the library app here in Broward County. It's called Libby. And on top of that, the book, which I did not see when I checked it out, turned out to be an audio book. Ah. So so it was like I was listening to a course and making notes. (laughs) (laughs) He had written that biography right before making the Rush Hour movie. Which is a movie we love. We love. But he does not. He does not understand American humor. But I'm off track now. So we're Jackie Chan fans all over, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes. And we never really thought about him as anything but a comedic actor, a great stuntman. Yes.
2: And what appeared to us to be a pretty good guy. From the characters that he's played on screen. Correct. I came away thinking that we should
0: kind of realize that most people we come in contact with, we don't think of them as three-dimensional. We think of them as the one dimension they're doing for us. This person is giving me a coffee or this person is giving me a ride in their Uber or whatever. But I thought it was interesting to think that everybody we come in contact with has all these things like he does in his life. They're just not famous. That's right. Having said that, let's list our sources. Let me start by saying that we looked a few things up in my best friend, Wikipedia. How could I not? Like background on the Academy and even some dates.
1: True. And we used a few good sites like biography.com and an article in the New Republic.
2: That article was really well written. Us. And finally, if you want to look up Jackie Chan's books, there are two out now. The first is called I Am Jackie Chan. And the second is called Never Grow Up. So I read a review of the second one, and it covers a lot of the same material as the first one,
0: which was the one I read. But the second one also covers his movies in America. And that's a whole different story, isn't it, guys? I think it must be. us. I only have one more thing that I'm thinking of before we do thank yous and goodbyes, and that is, how cool would it be if Jackie Chan heard this episode and said, hey, I'll talk to
1: you guys. <laughs> That would be a dream come true. (laughs) He
2: could have the honored seat at
1: my dining room table. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Like that wouldn't be on Zoom. Like this would be at all. Stop.
0: (laughs) But anyway, we hope you enjoyed the episode. You're going to let us know all there is to know about anything you know concerning Jackie Chan. And of course, Sensei Lydia, how much fun
1: is it when we have you on the show? I always have fun. It's always a pleasure to come. Say goodbye, Sensei Lydia. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next week,
0: everybody. And of course, I'm signing us off.
2: Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.
0: Before we go, I want to say one quick thing, and that is that I now have at the bottom of the podcast a click where you can support the show individually with a couple of dollars. And boy, wouldn't we appreciate that. You know it. So if you have a couple bucks and a couple minutes, please do so and support the show. Just click that link. Thanks, guys.